Welcome, this is the Teaching Excellence Podcast for all things FE, teaching, learning, assessment, quality and possibly a few other things along the way. Hosted by Steph Wilkinson and Jade Gibson, leaders in FE who want to support others and make a difference and hopefully spread a little happiness whilst we're at it. Hello and welcome to the Teach Excellence podcast. Um, today I am joined by Jo Fletcher-Saxon. Hi Jo. Hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Good, I'm good. Have you, ha- have you had a good day? Yes, thank you. Good, thank you for joining me. I um, will get into intros in a minute, but I just um, started this conversation really with myself about professional development, professional learning, and been talking to lots of different people about how that's been over the last 12 months and a little bit beyond that and what people are now thinking of doing going forwards. And I thought you were the ideal person being involved in lots of different things to talk about professional learning and professional development. So thank you so much for agreeing to come and talk to me today um but first let's start with intros um tell people who you are what you do okay so i'm an assistant principal i'm based in a sixth home college in greater manchester um i have a remit for a proportion of the college's vocational education for 16 to 19 year olds and all of the adult and higher education that we offer great but you do lots of other stuff, don't you? You're involved in lots of different organisations, groups. Um, so, and there's a few that I'm really interested in and we'll, we'll come around to some of them in more detail. But you're involved in FE Research Meet. Yeah. Um, you're involved in the Learning Skills Research Network. And you're also involved in a very new initiative although it's not new to you, it's new to all of us, um, but you've been doing lots of work on the research college group. Mm. And um, we'll, we'll get into what they are, because I think people are really interested in, in what's out there and what they can get involved in. And I know they can get involved in all of those things. So, but let's talk about professional learning and professional development. Um, you've been thinking about that in... in um, in lots of different ways but you've been leading on that at your college as well haven't you uh, well you've, doing, you've been doing some stuff at your I've college been, I've been working in a Machiavellian way in the background because actually the lead on um on that is is um, my colleague Brian it's only off chance he ever watches this I better just say he's a an assistant principal for teaching and learning and actually cross-college CPD type stuff for teaching and learning is his bag Mm. but I started working with him much more closely a few years ago because I lead on teacher education and so obviously I'm getting the newer and fresher ideas coming through so it's a it's a natural partnership really so together we've um, reshaped the kind of cross-college professional learning offer a couple of years ago it was called cpd we, we are we've rebranded um so yeah we've worked we've worked on that for the last couple of years together mm. why did you start to think about it differently um well I, well, okay well a number of things really um the norm for well, well, well 
let's let's start with the college invests heavily in in all forms of cpd mm. and people will book to go on things individually for subject stuff and that kind of thing course related and all that happens mm. um, but the, it, it's the bit that's the routine stuff so we had seven or eight twilight sessions and there, it had always been workshops and the workshop choices were largely driven by a college agenda Mm. And even if you asked colleagues what they were interested in, sometimes they'd say, well, you're the teaching and learning people, you decide. So I mean, it just kind of didn't work really. And people would come for the coffee, but, you know. Always. But, you know, not, <laughs> that, not that invested in it, really. Because end of a college day is really hard. Mm. So, um, but you see, meanwhile, I, I was working on the whole research agenda Mm. and people having autonomy and choice about the kind of things that they pursued that they felt would really have an impact in their classrooms so it was a coming together of minds really um, of looking at well what could we put on what kind of program could we put on that would offer an element of choice there would be different sort of grades if you like of, of autonomy in that um, and, and that's how we came to design the current program which really hasn't fully got off the ground for the last couple of years because of it being in and out like the hokey cokey of lockdown so mm -hmm. um the kind of things we planned we flipped completely into other spaces but we're going at it again this year mm -hmm. and it's a program that we've labeled be curious right. and there are different pathways but what we ask first is we ask staff we don't ask them which pathway do you want to join first in fact we don't even tell them what they are what we say is what what are the things you're curious about in your I practice that, i love that question though yeah. because it's it is it's, it's an open question what are you curious about mm. and, and it just sets you thinking of mm. staff engaged in that thinking with you well it, it was the first time we asked last year and they did i think they were a bit puzzled because what they used to is a menu offer and saying i'll go to that one and you go to that one, you go to that one, yeah? So absolutely held that back. And we've done that again, or are doing it again, no. So it, it's a bit, It's a, it takes some time, doesn't it? You, you, you're putting the brakes on a juggernaut, really, of, um, of what professional learning looks like, even using the language professional learning. So, you know, I even put out a new kind of visual thing um, with the, you know, asking this, what you're curious about, and then came in, okay, if you're curious about behaviour, in what way would you like to pursue that curiosity with a working with a coach reading journal articles doing a piece of research you know um, what, what way and then so then they pick the pathways you see they pick the format through which to pursue that curiosity rather than just saying i'm going to go to a workshop on behavior and be told what to do which nobody buys into yeah and i really like that i think um what i've always been really interested in is evidence-based approaches to teacher learning, professional learning. And, you know, there's there's a real crossover in some ways. We we talk about evidence-based teacher and learning, but we don't apply the same learning to professional learning. Yeah. Um, and, and I've always found that really fascinating. Yeah. Sort of like a real mismatch between some of the stuff we talk about from a student and enhancing learning and motivation point of view. And then this is all the stuff that we do with staff yes um, because we've kind of forgotten along the way haven't we i mean this is what my um, research degree was kind of about really at its, at its core um i have this mantra that we're all scholars but we've kind of forgotten that really um i don't 
think the school sector have quite forgot it as much as, and definitely not HG, but it's been forgotten about us because what we've become, we've sort of been rebranded as facilitators mm. and that kind of thing. And, you know, not, not thinkers and scholars in our own right, really. It, and it's sort of been matched by the whole skills agenda for students and forgetting all the other stuff that education has, what's it for? I was listening to um, Gert Biesta, who's um, a professor in the Netherlands, and he talks about the three core purposes of education. Knowledge and skills is one. Mm -hmm. And then he talks about sort of traditions as being the second one. So, for example, the traditions of being a nurse or a plumber or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the third one is about the formation of the individual, the, 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 the being a human being kind of thing. Well, we never we never focus on that, do we? Well, that's for students, but it's the same for staff as well. We're not just there to dish out how to, I don't know, fix. I don't know. It's about plumbing. How to put pipes <laughs> together? I don't know. Well, maybe I should know. But that you know, we're not just there for dishing up skills to get a certificate mm. and, and and get a job. It's it's part of it, isn't it? Education has a much broader purpose. Well, if we want that for our students, well, we're part of that too. That whole philosophy and purpose of education for us has been stripped away from us. And I love that, Joe, because um, I mentioned to you before we started recording that the phrase that keeps ringing in, keeps coming out of my mouth at the minute and ringing in my ears is um, a phrase that is widening the lens. And I think, you know, you can apply that to lots of different situations, but often, I think along the way, FE did become very much about qualification you know, the lens has been, this is the qualification you're going to come and do at the college and then leave and and get this type of job, you know, hopefully, mm -hmm. or you'll, you'll can progress on to the next um, yeah. stage if you get this qualification. But um, where there is some great practice and amazing stuff going on is where the, the lens is a wider lens. It's yes. a holistic development of students. And um, the other phrase that keeps sort of coming to me uh, related to this purpose of education is about developing the leaders of the future. Mm. This is not just about work and skills, which I know government agenda says it is, which, you know, I don't disagree with. But then, you know, even better than that, some of the, the, the colleges that have got that wide lens talks about career readiness but then even better still, in my opinion, is this developing leaders of the future. Yeah. And I think if we view things with that lens, mm. Mm. We, we can start to think about all these other bits of learning. But then it also requires us to sort of reposition our view of professional learning as well, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly, yeah. So um, citizenship, democracy, You'd think about that with your students potentially, but you. But where, where are we? I, I, I was because I teach on um, our teacher ed program. Mm. When you actually look at that, a certed or PGCE student, they'll be lucky to maybe get thirty days, say, of lectures, because mm. that's really what a year is. Really, mm. it's thirty mm. days. That's it. Um, and then they might get hundred plus hours of being in a classroom themselves. That's pretty swift to be considered to be a fully rounded educator 
and to never need any further engagement or investment in in in, in much broader thinking mm -hmm. so um yeah we've we've got to keep going we've got to keep going i think you know literally lifelong learning perhaps we should be you know seeing professional learning as, as part of well, it is isn't it really it's part of lifelong learning yeah and i like that idea actually of um asking people what they're curious about and then and then the how because i think typically there's a there's the college agenda and then we run these cpd sessions and what gets me is when people say oh we're running such a workshop it's the third year that we're going to run it yeah yeah and that it's at that point i say if if we if you're doing it a third time, something's not working. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I remember this because I was the one I was at one point and still now look at patterns, yeah. and you know questioning was always this thing that people either did really well or or not so well, and there's this constant debate of we need to put questioning training on. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, there's also I think part of that as well is um, where people went to something and they were asked to cascade. <laughs> Nobody ever cascades. What they'll say is, I spent an hour with Bob learning about Q and A. Well, that'll be it. Now I mean they might do, but um, so that's another reason. Well, anybody can... out there who's mastered cascading, we want to hear from them. Yeah. Um, there'll be loads now the blues are perfect cascaders but um but there but people are not being swept up in whatever the college agenda you know maybe not enough people. a word for cascading actually it's amplification isn't it yes yeah and that's even better than dissemination isn't it yeah, mm. yeah. but i'm just thinking about you know these sort of that because there has to be a balance if you think strategically about the data we capture maybe and looking at quality improvement cycles potentially there's the balance to be had which is how do we foster autonomy ownership of professional learning mm. and engage people in that but there's also there will be themes that start cropping up in the data right. and, you know, but what you're what you're doing is and, and that is the important step is you need to you need to be clear mm. and demark and there needs to be a demarcation between the difference between yes. um training yes instructional training as in this is the way we do things here. Yeah. This is how you use your mark book, your grade scheme. This is how we expect a scheme to look. Mm. Um, these are the kind of habits we would like um, the students to evolve in this institution because this mm. is what we value. There's sort of more, in, there's sort of instructional um, training mm. um, type things. There's also the training that's like the safeguarding and the health and safety and that kind of thing. And then there's professional learning. And I think it's the, I think they're all a bit different, but I think in some institutions it's all blurred. And um, what really has taken over is the kind of, um, this is how we want you to do stuff. And there's no space for the developing, the scholar that you are putting in that room mm -hmm. for 20 periods a week with young people. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, I'd say some of the conversations that I've been having very recently are, have been with people who are now questioning about how professional learning looks different, because we look back over the last 15 months or whatever it is, and we've realised that loads of people wanted to engage online, 
people have looked outside of their organization and got involved in networks, events, you know, all sort paid for stuff themselves, just started to do all these other things. Um, then the colleges have been putting stuff on, so there's internal stuff happening as well. Um, and, and people are now saying, okay, well, we know there's like all these different options and people are in different places. So for example, if you've got colleges that have a sort of really, a real need to very quickly improve where they, they're at and, and improve teaching practice, there are, you know, they often have some key themes in terms of, you know, this college agenda. But I'm starting to talk about peop to people about how the approach to that can be different from what we've always thought about. So where we do, you know, right, we're putting this session on and then we kind of sometimes just hope that people are going to do something different and actually just thinking about how we flip that. So one of the things I've talked to people common, uh, quite frequently about recently is this idea of collaborative inquiry. Mm. So if you look at the research, if you look at any of the research on professional learning, collaborative inquiry is one of the powerful mechanisms by which people develop their practice. So for example, if you think about how that how you would do that differently, you take that into a department as the head of area or as the subject leader, because it is those people, the middle leaders, um, heads of um, curriculum faculties that need to be modeling and giving the leadership message around professional learning. But if you think about how they would do that, they, they can take that question into the department that says, how do we as a team make sure, and I'll pick something, you know, a phrase that can be used commonly. Um, how do we as a team make sure that all students make significant progress in lessons? Let's say we just pick that one. So that could be your terms focus. But it's you might get a coach to come in and deliver something or you know, someone to come in and bring some fresh ideas. But ultimately, the collaborative inquiry approach is that as a team, we're going to figure out what that means to us, what that means for our subject, what do we do well already, what are the different ideas that we might all bring to the table. Then we go away and try some stuff. We might go and watch each other do some of that stuff, or we might not. We might just then come back every week and keep putting the cards on the table that says, I tried this, this didn't work. I tried that, this was amazing. Mm. And then you, and you sort of over the term, you start to answer that question together. Okay, okay. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it's an inquiry approach, isn't it? Mm. It is. Um, I suppose, it, uh, right, well, within that, if I was the person working with that team, mm. what was your, what was the question? So um, I chose the, how do we ensure every learner makes significant progress? Right, okay, so I'd want a definition of that first. What mm. does significant progress even look like? That would be the first thing I'd want to know. And I'd want the team to have decided what that is. If the institution hasn't defined it, the team would need to know. Mm -hmm. And then you might go off on your different strands of inquiry. The danger is that you're just inventing stuff to try inside the institution and don't look outside. Mm -hmm. So 
that's where probably where I'd take more of a research type approach or a mm. practitioner inquiry approach or action research approach mm. where you will be drawing in evidence um, which might inform a trial of an intervention or something of that nature. Mm. Um, so in fact, again, going back to Gert, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm his new fan girl. Um, <laughs> he talks about, I think, I don't know whether he uses Amazon as, as an example, but you know, say you're trying to learn something and you buy a book about um, progress, I don't know, whatever. Mm. Um, and then you'll be offered about 10 other books about progress, won't you? Yeah. Well, but you're staying inside a quite a defined bubble of information because mm -hmm. of an algorithm. But if you looked outside the bubble, okay, so you went and found out what these theorists and thinkers say, what practice is going on in those five colleges over there, what the people in HE doing, what the people in school doing, well, you're going to form a very, suddenly you're exposed to all sorts of different thinking. Yeah. And that, and there, there in, there's, there's the value. So um, that's what will start to, um, shape all that stuff that, that going back to the table with will be much richer then yeah and so I so I like the inquiry approach as long as it's not just in the bubble yes no I think that's a really useful point to raise Joe because it is about how do you if you widen the lens and you think about what that means even it is it's it would be important to have a step in there which brings in knowledge it's not necessarily about someone coming delivering a session yeah. for example but it might be everybody in the first week or two weeks or whatever it is um looks outward yeah and brings yeah something different to think about because um i know you mentioned before about schools um and there is there's research schools isn't there you know there is a there has been a movement in schools around research and although I don't know a lot about it, um, like you say, that has taken a bit of doing and a bit of time to start to evolve in Effie, hasn't it? Yeah, it, it, it has, it has. What I'm thinking there is um, what you were describing. I was imagining everybody being a detective. Ooh, I like that. So, yeah, so, so you can imagine that, you know, you've all got a line of inquiry as a detective. Well, you're gonna go to the journals, but you're gonna go to three colleges um, you're going to observe Bob. I don't know who Bob is, but we've mentioned him. <laughs> Bob's great at whatever that is, you know. And then you bring all that inquiry knowledge back. That's great because you've got a mix of um, practice, evidence-based literature, mm. you know, internal, external. Mm. Got a nice, um, nice mix there. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And then I suppose that leads me on to this thinking about you know, traditionally uh, professional development has been very much a internal, we create a program and um, there's usually a person that leads on that program or a team that helps lead on that program. And what I can't quite get my head around is how every college in the country has a person probably <laughs> and, and, and the same stuff that we're trying to develop Mm. every everyone across the country is maybe not reinventing the wheel that's maybe not the the right phrase but we're all spending a lot of energy time and therefore money on on these things internally to help support and develop staff mm. and the colleges that are sort of ahead with that culture have got a real learning culture being embedded and I am still 
sort of of the opinion that the the vision for that the culture is is what you create as a as a, as a leadership team um it's about the language that you use it's about the behaviors that we normalize and and the expectations that we have and yeah. learning is part of that right so in a way you were part, in part answering your own question about why people do it that it, it's all contextual isn't it yes so actually although you might join forces with somebody else to look at the same issue or you all might access the same spaces if you're going to do that as opposed to doing it yourself mm -hmm. you've got a context it's got to be about fit for purpose for you so i think that's why it happens now whether yeah. the balance isn't right and people being cut off to what's going on and open to everybody or you know I, i'm not too sure but i don't think i don't think it's about either side being wrong no definitely not it's just about being curious yeah. about what works what doesn't work yeah what, how we could do things differently how things might be um more efficient more impactful but what i do like is the idea which has come about specifically or more so in the last 15 months is people looking outward and just joining groups yeah. or well it's interesting that's because you and i are part of a world where a lot of that happens but i wouldn't say everybody is no. so again it's a dangerous bubble <laughs> to assume it's happening yeah. i think there are uh, there are um people within fe who really have an appetite and will look beyond their institutional walls and there are people that are perfectly great practitioners and and actually don't need to it's not really they don't need to yeah. i don't think everybody needs to be involved yeah. in outside but again i think it's but i think it's part of like i call it an ecology mm. and you've got um the sort of almost volunteer grassroots led professional learning stuff going on you've got um organizations that may or may not be funded but that are sitting outside of colleges yeah. that are offering stuff yeah often to an agenda that might be government or DfE driven. Mm. And then you've got what's going on in, inside um, mm. colleges. And then you've even got um, sort of subject networks and friendship networks around subjects and so on. But it's all got a part and I'm not, and I don't think it's about um, controlling it or trying to say, oh, you should go there, you should go there, no actually it's just making sure there's amplification of that whole ecology constantly so people can tap into the bits that suit them yeah because what i want to go to because we don't go we don't go to all the same spaces we go no. to some similar ones but it is about it is amplification it's about raising the awareness of what's available to people and therefore then people have a choice but um what i was kind of um thinking about recently was this notion that sometimes maybe commonly professional development professional learning is thought about this internal thing which is like you say it's not we're not saying that one thing is better or worse than another but ultimately there's there's probably if we if you use the phrase again about widening the lens of professional learning you know um i quite like the idea that we just ask staff that question what are you curious about and how you and by which format do you want to explore that but it also includes outside stuff yeah. 
yeah as part of that choice i think yeah i think well, okay, you're gonna get you'll get um dissenters in the in that if you're gonna amplify it <laughs> that there'd be an expectation that you judge the quality of it and that's where it gets tricky really yeah um and you know and then there's also really once you start pushing something mm. saying oh we've seen that um i you know the, the there are, there's benefits to people independently accessing and finding these things that are more um, informal, really. Yeah, like organic. Yeah, so my uh, um, director of studies refers to the punk movement. And really, some of this is like that. It's like punk pedagogy, it's, you know. But um, stuff like that has become mainstream, but you can't remove the... the, the <laughs> The fact that it's not there, it's not formalised, it's not controlled, it's doing its job, it's doing its thing. Yeah. Um, so I think there are pros and cons to, um, in an institution, how much you would amplify that. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and it's just, but isn't it amazing we've just got to a point where there is so much available to people? Yeah. And and the, the profile of professional learning, professional development, and, and this, like you say, this notion of being curious. Yeah. I think there is a change. There's a change in um, how we define professional learning. And I, and I think that's, again, it's another part of my, my study and my thesis is, is mm. even trying to work out a working definition really, because, you know, I've, I've been put on, on events in college and have mm. people who have been invited and they've been told, well, that's not proper professional learning. Oh, what is then if the conference isn't? But, you know, probably because it was free and they didn't have to pay for a ticket. That's somehow it made it, oh, it can't be right then, it can't be proper. So I think the, the last year has really pushed the boundaries on, on what professional learning is. Yeah. Um, not just about where and how you can access it, but even mm. what someone might value. Yeah, and I like that. That's what I like. But I am, I've said this before on the podcast, I quite like change. I quite like evolution of stuff. So the fact that we're even, you know, at a point where we recognise things have changed, things have developed, things have evolved. I think it's just really great to sort of have that critical lens and, and just look at, well, what has been different? What have we noticed? What's worked? What have people liked? What, but then you know also that staff voice um yeah. what, what have they found beneficial what's been impactful for them and then not necessarily just repeating that this year going forwards from september but looking at the value of any of that stuff yeah i'm and i i would see if i'm working with my colleague as well in as we push out next year's sort of model for people to consider I'm cognizant of some of that stuff, but it's not necessarily anything I'm going to um, put out there. That's up to individuals in terms of their own professional learning agenda. We will put out a certain amount, but otherwise it's control and it's not the thing it is. <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 And that, and that, you know, the sense of professionalism, people do need to have the autonomy and the choice. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, um, one of the things we're doing in our end of year week of 
mm. you know, all sorts of professional learning stuff going on there. Mm. It's giving teams a bit of space to say, to try and capture that in a way mm. um, so that we can just take a look at that and, and just be better informed about, you know, what, what has been useful. And it may or may not inform what we're able to do institutionally. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We were going to talk about structured autonomy, weren't we? Yeah. And and I love it. I love it as a phrase. I, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but I love the concept of structured autonomy because I think um, when you look at some of the research, structured autonomy really helps um, in terms of professional learning. So um, I understand it to be, I've simplified it in my head, quite visual, um, having a framework of something and then allowing people the choice and the wiggle room within the framework. Yeah. So for example, um, you know, we might as a college put out that these are the three, four, five sort of strategic themes you know, that we need to be developing. And this is kind of our expectations of, as a college as to where we're trying to get to. We've got some definitions around the framework. Um, but how people get there mm. might, that might be the way that they wiggle and the yeah. way that people... So as you were saying about people identifying, you know, that gives, there's more choice there by just identifying what you're curious about. But for example, if you say there's these five themes, these are the five things that we're really going to focus on this year, this term, whatever, mm. um, how you work on them. Yes. I mean, I must say we're not, we're not exactly putting out those themes because if we think there are key things that staff need to know, we need to put them on separately. Yeah. We need to do that any, with everybody anyway um so yeah i'm not sure although perhaps some of the, some of the workshops we offer will, will perhaps re represent those those themes but mm. i mean stuff like digital pedagogy will last all year anyway and that won't sit in the space that we've we've got here for this particular curiosity program but um so with ours then um and again i don't you know i mean uh, we'll see how it goes mm. but yeah people will declare their curiosity but the, the the ways they've got to to then pursue it we've got journal club which um you know we need to try and get that off the ground again and see if there's an appetite for that lots of people signed up last year what does what does that look like yeah so basically book club basically okay. right because they get when would people read and talk about stuff radical really because it's just not there it's simple but radical um so loads of people signed up but then it, you know we, we sort of got caught up in <laughs> sort of a covid response type of cpd really yeah. um so we'll have a go next year and i don't know whether this year we might actually just put out say five texts and say do you fancy one of these if mm -hmm. will this answer some of your based on what they say they're curious about you know yeah. something like that we gave free reign for choosing you know um and i want smaller groups this time so that people really can properly reflect on what i've learned what i've thought about what difference is this going to make to my practice whatever you know what i've been reading so there's a whole journal club strand then we've got um the coaching and we'll have some group coaching for people who are doing mentoring and coaching themselves but also people who might want to work individually really challenging this deficit notion of what a coaching is all about and it's going to take some brave steps for people to say oh actually yeah, i fancy working with a coach because mm -hmm. it just you know we're not culturally there that yet and then we've got and actually interestingly the coaching stuff came out of the first year we did action research that the lead on it presented her findings to slt and so she's had permission to roll that out so you know right. which the other strand which is practitioner research that can 
work. Mm -hmm. um, so people might choose a very traditional form of practitioner research, action research. Mm -hmm. But the other one in that is they might, I'm calling it sort of teaching and learning improvement project so that they're not so scared by action research. So they might say, oh, I really want to trial, um, I don't know, using this new intervention or something. Okay. Well, it's, it's sort of like research really, but they, it won't be labeled in that way. So, you know, they'll have that going on there. Yeah. And then we've got a whole strand for early career teachers as well to make sure we're supporting them because not only have they only had however many days training, half of it's been in lockdown and they've been teaching over a computer. So there's, um, there's a strand for them as well. So, so yes, there's a framework there but loads of autonomy. Of course, there'll be a few workshops as well in a very traditional sort of people putting on a, a subject to teach people about. So um, masses of choice, really. Yeah. And then, but for my own research, I'll be interviewing people about this, you know. It's really interesting, Joe. because if you, if you look at some of the key points, I know um, I often go to the Teacher Development Trust summary that, you know, it's 2015, I think it was, it talks about this um, rhythm and duration of professional learning. So where we just do a one-off session or we get a person in for just a day, um, you know, it's not a sustainable, it's not a cycle, it's not a sustainable model as such because we've not got this continued evaluation, reflection, thinking, mm. But we could, you know, it doesn't have to be, I think one of the things we, we do see often is a theme can be on the quip, say, and we, we can't get it off the quip all year and then it goes on to next year's quip. And actually, I keep just challenging people and saying, could we just reduce the number of plates that we're spinning? Mm. And say, right, we're going to spin these five plates, but we're going to go all in. Yeah. We're not going to drop the other plates, but we're going to go all in on these four, three, three sounds like not enough and five sometimes feels like too many. So four, these four things that are going to make a significant difference to learner experience and learning. And can we go all in with those four? And I know I've mentioned this, I'm probably going to mention this sort of thinking that I've had um, several times over the next couple of months, because I do think there's something in it. Yeah. Can we go all in with these four things as a as a collective, contextualised to each curriculum area, but collectively then share some of our findings, some of our thinking across the whole college? But yeah. after like one term, can we just get it off? Yeah, yeah, and that's mm -hmm. great. That's great. Um, so you're not spreading yourself too thin. Yeah. It um stops that habit of rolling forward. That word ongoing. ongoing. <laughs> oh, we all love that on a quip. Oh God, we do not mean it, doing it. Um, and then what was I thinking of then that you said? I can't remember now. It's gone out of my mind. Yeah, but it's that, it's that, and I think the, there's a couple of different ways to think about it, isn't there? Like we can think about marginal gains because there's a real, there's a real, there's real evidence there that if we keep making marginal gains, you know, there's a whole Olympic cycling thing about marginal games, which is fascinating. Yeah. But it's that sometimes if if there are significant leaps to make, I mean, if you're in an amazing place, marginal gains, it's important to always think about that continuous improvement, marginal gains. If you're if there are some things where significant movement and leaps are needed, I'd 
I think there's a real benefit of narrowing the lens a little yeah. bit and, and stop trying to spin a hundred plates at once yeah. and make tiny improvements for all hundred. But can we reduce the number of plates that we're spinning, but do them really well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it allows you to do that thing about consistency as well. So if you are going to implement something cross college that you consistently go at it and don't let it go for a good period of time, because any change, particularly for the students, if they're the end recipient of this, you know, it does, it really does take time. A colleague of mine, he talks about micro improvements. Okay. Like so, yeah. Yeah. Similarly. Um, a reflective practitioner should be constantly thinking about micro improvements but where's the space for ref reflection and again that's why we're, what we're trying to build in that some of these strands that we've got or pathways mm. they are naturally naturally reflective spaces reflected on your whatever you've read reflected on what you've seen whatever mm. and we may not use the words because again it can be a bit of a turn off because everybody thinks of, <laughs> everybody was probably scarred about by writing reflective pieces for the pgce or something but um but and it kind of happens in staff rooms i think in subject-based staff rooms there is naturally some that went well oh that was rubbish oh god what can we do next time you know some of these things sort of happen anyway mm. but i'm hoping that these pathways do just naturally build in some critically reflective conversation spaces really that space for thinking that um doesn't necessarily sit naturally in a in a drive-by CPD session that you, you, you've you mentioned before. And it, it doesn't, um, it can be done and, and there are colleges that are now really factoring in this one hour a week protected time, it's better than nothing. Um, and it's not a team meeting as such, it's, it's reflective space. But the key to that is gonna be the types of questions that are asked, yeah. how you structure it, the coaching sort of approaches, that sort of, again, that framework of an ethos around reflective practice, isn't it? Yeah, that is tricky. If you go, now they, is this one of the golden hour things? That people uh, some people have, some people have called it something yeah. like golden hour. Again, I, th and, and I think, you know, cynicism can pop up there as well. I don't know. Um, it sounds good how well it gets used that's that's the bit for me which is it's great putting it on but I think that's the conversation I have been having with people which is yeah. have to be very careful and very conscious about what that is yeah. and, and there needs to be that research and reading and thinking and conversations yeah about what that might look like include and be like because you only need one or two bad weeks in the beginning and yeah. it'll switch everybody off yeah 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 um, mm -hmm. yeah and, and we've all got, it, it makes me think of that radiator and drain thing. We've all got people who, you know, for whatever reason, would rather not be there. And that cannot be helpful. Someone, um, someone shared um, uh, something they did with me, which is that, you know, it's not radical, but the simplicity of it really worked for them. And it was the speed dating approach. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking. Yeah. And it was great, it, but it broke down the barriers. It brought people together. It got people sharing ideas. And it is... Yeah. It's those simple things, but We've done that as part of um, our end of year type of thing. We've not done it as, as very frequently through the year, but we've done mm. done that kind of thing. And we've definitely done it in research meets as well. Mm. 
where people yeah do a kind of yeah mm. move, move around people picking up the, you know little ideas and things yeah i mean it's all it's all good it's all good <laughs> and, and we could wrap it on all day about professional learning but um i just before we finish i want to mention we mentioned at the beginning about three spaces that people might be able to sort of get involved with things externally you know um and so fe research meet um how would you summarize that it's um a movement Mm. <laughs> um, which offers you a model it's a bit like teach meets but a bit more researchy <laughs> it is a space for uh, people within the in the broader sense in further education who might be engaged in some kind of research small project research like we talked about tonight or full-on doctorate to come and share their progress their thinking what their findings are or emerging thinking or whatever um, but anybody can run one there are some mm. ideas on the website there's an fe research meet i think it's org where you can pick up tips nobody owns it there's a few of us that are active in it and can help people but any college or whatever can can operate their own FE research meet great and um the learning and skills research network yeah okay so that that's a, an organization that has, has existed for more than 20 years now it is it does rely on volunteers again but what you've got is conveners if you like representatives in each region so there's lots there's regional reps and they will be organizing events a bit like fe research meets but the difference is it's about he and fe working together okay so it's a space for both parties really mm. um and um you can look on the website for the lsrn find out who your local convener is or if you don't have one in your region maybe become one uh, and conveners gather and meet and look at what kind of um events they're going to operate that will open up those spaces for people to gather and meet in a kind of teach me type of way really mm -hmm. um it does tend to be um i suppose it's sort of hybrid between formal and informal because it's colleges or universities that are running these events and spaces but it's it's part of it's been part of a network really yeah and I think every single person I ever speak to that goes to something where they've had the chance to talk to someone from a different college, different university, in a way that's not just, you know, in a way that's a, a quite focused, maybe, you know, on teaching and learning improvements or what other people are doing, they always say it's beneficial. Always, yeah. always, always. Yeah. Um, and then last one, but very new-ish, um, is the Research College Group and some amazing work gone on there so tell everyone what that's about okay well again there's a there's a, there's a website you could, people can head to that so it's been um i suppose set up to be a little bit like the school's research network yeah but without funding um so it's been set up by 10 founder colleges right. now it's called it's got college in the title but actually it's open to private training providers, prison education, adult community settings, you know, whoever mm. really mm. just happens to be the title. Mm. But again, it is about FE research. Mm. Um, but this, again, is about people in the sector building the knowledge and sharing the knowledge. Um, so not so much universities. That's not to say they're not welcome, but mm. um, it is about, again, amplification of or for providing a, a good space for people in FE to undertake research and have that amplified and shared so there's um there's a number of groups that people can join there's like an ethics group there's um what we call them create groups people who they want support with 
doing some research or there's a there's a training group to learn how you carry out a piece of research mm-hmm. um or um organizations themselves if they're already really active in this space again they can join but it isn't the kind we don't want people to think it's a bit like um what is it matrix or something where you just join and stamp and get a badge it's not about that it's it is a it's an active group yeah and if it, if people are um wanting just to come and see what else is out there they've like say all three of those spaces have got different um websites and they can find you can't they on twitter or linkedin um and probably other spaces to ask you some questions um but it'll be really interesting to watch how these three spaces in particular um you know continue to evolve next year because there's I think sometimes um people can you know they don't know where to go or what to do but actually because there's lot what's amazing at the minute is that there's so many options Mm. so much stuff going on but I think you know my advice would always just be choose something that resonates with you and just see what see where it goes you know like any of those three that you just mentioned there's no like sign up or commitment to such it's come and have a look come and come and see what you think and you might want to get involved Mm. or you might not but um you might not um i mean and and also yeah and people sometimes just reach out to those organizations have a conversation and and then they go off and they develop something Mm -hmm. right you know all, all all adding to the professional learning arena yeah anyway thank you so much joe for joining me it's been great to just start to think about professional learning and where it may go might go could go and um how it might evolve but um i'll speak to you soon thank you thanks Thanks for listening to the Teaching Excellence podcast. Leave us a voice message in Anchor. Tweet us and let us know what you think or what you want to hear on the show. Tune in next week for more. Have an amazing week and be the best version of you.